All right, we are going to dive back into the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to today to walk us through a, a pretty tough chunk of Bible, 1 Corinthians, the second half of it. So if you want to make your way there. But uh, this morning for the scripture reading, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20, um, I'm not going to do the usual thing and read it to you. We're actually going to read it aloud to ourselves and to each other. So if you will stand up with me, and for that purpose, I'm going to have it up on the screen here so that we can declare these truths together. And um, there's some stuff in here that um, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, especially you're going to be like, oh man, that's in the Bible? It is in the Bible, and we need to be really alert to it and be prepared to, to really spend some time soaking in what God has for us. So let's do this out loud together, okay? Here we go. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will do away with both of them. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body? So should I take a part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says the two will become one flesh, but anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. So, why did I have you do that today? That's, that's not our custom. We don't do that very often. Um, why did I do that today? Um, first off, guys, it's because God's word is just powerful all by itself. If all we did was come together and give full attention to what God is saying in his word, um, that would be powerful and, and life-giving and life-changing. In fact, my job is actually only to slow us down long enough to, that having read it, we can go back and just kind of think about what he is saying even more, right? But that's, that's the power is in what we just read. But there's another reason that I wanted us to do that. It's because I know that if you're at all familiar with the Bible or have even read through the Bible, you might reflexively have a response to passages like this that start talking about sexual immorality. One of those reflexive responses to this, if you've been around Bible teaching very much, is to decide, oh, it's time to kind of tune out. Oh, here we go again, kind of a thing. Oh, now it's time to talk about that. Wah, wah, wah. So you just kind of get ready for your little horse whipping that you're going to get, and then you're going to roll your eyes and walk out and stay unchanged, like it never happened. That happens all the time right? Where the Bible just has no net effect, no matter how many times you've read it. So that's a possible reflexive action. There's another way that you could hear that 
and, and what it does in your soul. And it's this, way on the other side of that spectrum, suddenly you see what the Bible is saying about sexual immorality and you put your head down and you are suddenly overwhelmed with guilt, condemnation. You're just crushed with the weight of it. And as I thought about those two responses to just reading the Bible out loud, I've actually been praying for both people in both those camps. That on the one hand, God would really awaken some people who have heard it a thousand times, wah, 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 that they would actually come alive because I believe God wants to bring life to you, that you don't realize what you're missing out on by tuning out what God has to say about this really important topic. And then on the other side of that, that God would bring life and healing and forgiveness and hope to those who feel crushed by the weight of that scripture. That's, that's what I've been praying for you guys. And then I know there's a third response, which is the response that I would have given early on when I first came to know Christ. And that is this, what? I didn't know that. <laughs> like, this is new information to me. When, when I first came to Christ, I knew nothing about what God had to say about things like what I did sexually. So, so for me, I had already created my own standard, my own kind of high ground, my moral high ground for what I did sexually. And here, here was the ethic that I had created. In fact, I probably even thought it was in the Bible somewhere, right? Um, I thought that it was up to the men to be as like sexually forward as we possibly could be, and yet be respectful and let the woman actually draw the line, draw the boundaries. And so my job was to do as much as I could and then be respectful when a line had been crossed and it was time to Back up. I actually thought that was like the most noble, high spiritual ground you could possibly take when it came to sexuality. And guys, it could not be more wrong. Like I believed that with all my heart, thought I was actually more noble than all my thug friends around me. You know what I mean? And it could not be more wrong. So why do I, you know, display my own depravity to you and tell you what my own, like, starting point was when it came to these things, it's because what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians 6 is actually give us what the Corinthians had for their starting point. What was their ethic? What was their moral ethic when it came to sexuality? He actually does that in the first verse, the first couple of verses, and you can see it because it's in quotation marks. So that stuff there, those words that are in quotation marks, is actually because what Paul is doing is repeating back to them their own words. Like, this is what you guys say about this topic of sexual morality. Okay, so the first one that he puts in quotes, everything is permissible for me. In fact, that phrase comes twice. Says that one twice. Everything is permissible for me. So their starting point with their sexual ethic was, I can, I can do whatever I want, right? Well, Paul is going to say, well, could be. That's kind of true. You're an adult. You're, you can do whatever you want, but don't fool yourself into thinking that you can just get away with that because actually you can't do anything you want and be untouched because everything that is permissible also might be really harmful. Not only might it not be beneficial, it actually might hurt you. And actually you think that you're living in this freedom. You might find in expressing your freedom, you actually become enslaved to something that you thought you were in control of. So he just says, well, Kind of, but be careful with that kind of an ethic, right? I, I want you to think about this in um, 
some random ways that this is just a truism that we need to understand and embrace. Take something very common like eating, okay, eating. Are you free to eat or not eat right now or any time during the day? Of course. You're a human person. You've got agency. You can make the choice. I'm going to eat or I'm not going to eat, right? But here's what we know to be true. If you choose to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat, 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 right? If you just keep saying yes to eating, what's going to happen? It's going to harm you physically. And at some point, it's going to become your master. You're going to be tyrannized by eating. Something so simple, something we make choices on all the time. But we know what's true. It, it hurts us and enslaves us. But go to the other side of that. What if you choose not to eat, right? If you choose not to eat, here's what we know. Number one, that can be harmful, and people that make a practice of not eating and restricting themselves from eating too much, it actually becomes a master and tyrant over you, and we get eating disorders and all sorts of awful things that hurt us really bad in the long term, right? Here's what I'm saying. Something as simple as eating. Yeah, I can do whatever I want. I can eat that or not eat that. True, but be careful. Don't take your eye off those freedoms, right? Because some of those freedoms end up hurting you and tyrannizing you, and you become ens- enslaved to it. Think think almost anything. Video gaming. Are you free to play video games? Yes. Can that hurt you and enslave you? Yes, absolutely. So it's just that truth. Your freedom can lead to enslavement and can lead to misery and a lot of harm, right? But that's actually not the philosophy that he really wants to take aim at. That's one of them. And so he just kind of immediately speaks truth to that one. The other quote there is this. Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. You're like, that's a sexual ethic? <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. That's, that, what's, that's what they were attaching. That phrase is what they were attaching to their morality, their sexual morality. Here's what he's saying by that. And here's what they were saying by that. Guys, just the way that our bodies are made to need food, so we get hungry, so we feed it food. We're just sexual beings. We're just materialists. We just, we crave sex, so we have sex. There's nothing more profound than that. There's nothing deeper than that, right? It's just a bodily urge. It's just sex. That's what we hear all the time, right? This is not just the Corinthians that believe this stuff. It's made its way all the way to Iowa City, right? It's just sex. Don't get so hung up on all the weight that it should carry. It's just a bodily urge, Guys, the reason that Paul is going to spend the rest of this text addressing that right there is because that is perhaps the most dangerous philosophy on this planet. I'm not overstating that. This is not hyperbole. Here's what I'm saying. If you're a materialist, really believe that you can do something with your flesh and blood, with your body, and that it has no effect on spiritual things, emotional things, relational things. If you really believe that, you are actually, it's more than just being naive. It certainly is naive. It's way more than that. Those kind of people are the most dangerous people on this planet. People that actually live out this idea that that you can do whatever you want with your body and anybody else's body, disconnected And in total disregard for conscience, total disregard for empathy for others, total disregard for emotion, for soul, for spirit, I am telling you, they become the most unhinged, dangerous people on this planet. 
And that's why Paul is saying, no, no, no. You've got to undo that lie that you're believing and replace it with the truth about what God is telling us about our bodies. Okay, so the very first thing that he's going to do as we start looking at the second part of verse 13 is tell us this. This is the first point. Your body is decidedly spiritual. Okay, if you're a note taker or whatever, just know this first thing. Your body is decidedly a spiritual thing. Now, here's, here's what I want to do just to show you kind of how important the body is. I want you to show you, this is the text that we just read, just nine verses. Look at how many times the word body or in plural bodies is found in just those nine verses. Ten times. Okay, so seeing repeated words doesn't necessarily mean everything when you come to a text of Scripture, but when you see it ten times in nine verses, it means something, Right? And he's trying to say, don't be dismissive of the body as if the body is just no big thing and it's, it doesn't have that much impact. Ten times he's going to say, I'm talking about your body right now. That's what we're going to talk about. It couldn't be more clear just in a visual of how many times he repeats that word. Guys, let's read what he wants to say about the body, starting at the end of the second half of verse 13. He says this, however, okay, that word however is intriguing because what he's saying is, okay, this is what you believe. However, (laughs) let me just bring the truth in, right? We're going to take a hard right here. We're going to make a hard turn and replace what you've been thinking with what God is saying. However, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Guys, you were created as a physical being. God wove you together and, yes, gave you a spirit, a soul, a mind, emotions, all sorts of things you can't see. But he made you to be to have all that compositely together with the body. You were created wonderfully by God, and that entire creation started with a body. I, I love the connection between body and soul, body and spirit that, that we see. In fact, so there's a lot of people in the sciences in this area and a lot of people in the medical community, even in this room right now. Uh, there's, there are more, this is what I, I've heard. I, I wish I could document it, but it's easily uh, believable that of the hard sciences, there are more Christians in the study of biology than almost any other hard science. Why would that be? Because they're studying life, Right? They're studying life, and it takes them, there's this direct line between studying biology, this stuff, the physiological stuff, to the God who created this stuff. So one of those greatest examples, in my mind, of this is this guy, Francis Collins. Have you guys have heard the name Francis Collins? He's actually in the news quite a bit right now because he's the, the head of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. So he's speaking a lot about COVID and different things. So you're seeing him, he's not some old dead guy. That's usually who I quote. He's alive and well right now, okay? Uh, he's even in a band he plays. He's so pretty in, in, intriguing guy. Uh, brilliant, brilliant guy. But he went into his career as a geneticist, as a researcher, as a physician, as an atheist. Had just disavowed that there is a God at all. The deeper he got into his studies, and by the way, he would end up sharing the human genome project where they mapped the DNA, which is opened up all sorts of worlds of research. That's where he got to. But on his journey of researching and having conversations with patients that had almost nothing to do with the cells right here and everything to do with what happens beyond this body, 
he started a journey, ended up becoming a Christian. So his book, if, you, if you're interested, the book that describes that, he's, he, you can just YouTube him. He speaks all over. He's a really cool guy. But the, the book is called The Language of God. The Language of God by Francis Collins. I think you'd really dig it. Now, because I'm not a medical person, there were some parts of chapters that I was like, I have no idea what you just said. But this is intriguing. I'm going to keep reading. So anyway, some of you get more out of it than I did. Um, language of God. Here's one quote by Francis Collins that I want to repeat to you. Here's what he says. The God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshipped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic. It is awesome. It is intricate. It is beautiful, right? He said, I am studying human physiology and I'm drawn to worship the God who created this thing. This is amazing to me, right? So what I'm trying to say is there's a direct line between our bodies and the one that created our bodies. It's not just a body. It's not just physical. It's deeply spiritual. The fingerprints of God are all over our bodies. How he wired us together. It's amazing, right? But more than that, not only were we created physical, we're going to be raised up. Again, resurrected. That's what he says at the end of, of that verse, verse 14. We're going to be in these bodies. We're going to inhabit these bodies forever. So just yesterday, I went up to visit my mother up in Northern Iowa, took my daughter along. And of course, I took the long way so that we could go by the cemetery in Orchard, Iowa, by where I'm, that's where I'm going to get buried. I don't know why my fascination by seeing where I'm going to get buried, but I'm kind of fascinated by it. So I took Audrey. Hey, there's the tree underneath that tree. That's where you're going to bury me. So pointing this stuff out. And, and then almost hit a deer, by the way. So I almost got there more quickly than I thought maybe I would. But anyway, um, there is something that is important for us to realize someday my family will put my body in that grave in Orchard, Iowa. And then one day God is going to take that very body and resurrect it and raise it back up and clean it up and make it back to what it's supposed to be. And that's the body that I will inhabit forever and ever, right? This created body is so important that there's going to be a resurrection and it's going to be mine forever, right? That's how important the body is, and that's how spiritual the body is. So because of that, this body, now if I'm a follower of Christ, is actually very sacred. It's very sacred. Look what he says now, starting in verse 15. Don't you know that your bodies are a part of Christ's body in this mystical, supernatural way? Your bodies are part of Christ's body. So should I take part of Christ's body and make it part of a prostitute? Oh, absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says, the two become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He's saying, look, if you're in Christ, look, there's something very sacred about even your physical body. Don't take something that's meant for Christ, meant to bring glory to him, and do something awful. So, something so base with that body. In fact, the opposite is actually true. So there's this really intriguing passage in Matthew 25. And here's what happens. This, in Matthew 25, he's talking about a future time when all people are resurrected. They're standing in front of the king, the judge, Jesus. And he's addressing all of them. And when he turns to address the Christians who are now resurrected and stand in front of him, here's what he says. The king will say to those on his right, "'Come, you who are blessed by my father.'" Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And here's what he says. 
I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the Christians standing there, resurrected, are going to say, wait, wait, when, when did we do that? I feel like I'd remember that. When did we do that for you, Jesus? And he's going to say, oh, wait. The king answers him. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you actually did for me. What you did with your physical body on this earth was actually attributed back toward Christ, right? So in a beautiful way, when, you, when your hands are the hands of what Jesus would do, when, you're, when you speak the words Jesus would speak, you're doing that on his behalf. There's a direct line, a direct correlation to Jesus. So now in 1 Corinthians 6, what Paul is saying is, so how awful is it when if that's what we're supposed to be using our bodies for, we do the exact opposite, right? When we do the exact opposite and all of a sudden we decide to use our very bodies for the most base things, the most selfish things, and rather than even thinking about how important it is to serve others, I'm actually serving myself and exploiting others. How awful is that, right? In fact, look at, there's one phrase in there that in, in the Christian Standard Bible, and if you guys don't have, have one of these, they're, they're for sale back at the uh, Info Central, the Resource Center back there. But there's a phrase in here in bold. It says, the two will become one flesh. The reason it's in bold is it's actually quoting part of a passage from an earlier part of the Bible. Do you remember where that comes from? Genesis, right? Genesis 2. Genesis 2 is where the first man and woman are created. They're brought together to be husband and wife. And he says, you're going to come together. You're going to bond together spiritually, emotionally. You're going to be together forever. In fact, you're going to leave father and mother and come together and you're form a new unit, a new family. But that spiritual, emotional, relational connection, that bond that you're going to have is actually going to have a physical component as well. And that's actually going to be the result. The physical and the emotional is all going to blend together to keep you guys knowing that there's something newly created, this beautiful thing in marriage that you have. And, and here's what I'm saying. When you desecrate that, when you vandalize that, when you take physical union and take it out of marriage and out of one man and one woman committed together, when you do something awful with that very act, you do something terrible to this beautiful, sacred body that he's given you. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, you guys, because it is kind of a profound thing that he's trying to bring to us. And this is really a simple illustration. So just forgive me if it like pales to what Paul's trying to say. But I thought about this. I thought, okay, again, you guys know I love to go to Africa. And when I go to Africa, I often want to bring something back to my grandchildren. I've often, I've stopped bringing things to my kids. It doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> Grandkids, they get everything, right? So, so I go, so let's just say that I got over there and I saw one of my Zambian friends carving a giraffe out of wood. And I thought, I want to bring that to Colette. So James that was up here playing, that's my son-in-law, his daughter, Colette. Okay, Let, let's just say I wanted to bring something to Colette. So I got this little carved giraffe that a Zambian friend carved me. And I just knew it was a little bit fragile. So I held it. I didn't even shove it in my bag. I like kept it really proud precious and safe all the way through. And it's a long way to get back here, you know. And then when I got back, I couldn't wait to get over to James and Audrey's house and find Colette. And I unwrap and I show her, you know, what if all of a sudden Colette reached up, saw this thing that was so precious and grabbed it and walked over and just grabbed a Sharpie marker and just started going and just started marking all over it, right? And I'd be like, no, 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 don't. And then she walked over to the table and just goes, you know, just started beating it all. I'd be like breaking legs off, you know, Oh, no, no, no. And, and what if her little friend Dalton was there? Dalton is there. So she grabs this giraffe and all of a sudden just 
wham, 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 starts beating him over the head with it. You know, the whole, what would be happening to me, the giver of that precious gift, as all this starts playing out? No, no, what are you doing? That thing's so precious. I brought it for you. I wanted you to enjoy it. I want, you know, that's, it's not made for Sharpies. <laughs> it's not made for beating people and hurting other people with it. Like, terrible illustration. But here's what I'm trying to say. I believe what Paul is trying to get across, guys. And the reason that that's quoted there, God gave us this beautiful gift of physical intimacy that is just loaded with emotion and spirituality and connectedness. There's something all deeply spiritual going on. But when we abuse it, when we take that beautiful gift intended for something so wonderful and abuse it, it becomes something awful. And I think makes the giver actually terribly sorry that he ever gave it to you. Right? That it hurts him. That's what he's saying. Are you going to take something of Christ and do something awful with it? He's absolutely not. This, no, don't, don't, don't. So just know that philosophy that you can do anything with your body and it doesn't matter spiritually, that is from the pit of hell. <laughs> Your body is decidedly spiritual, okay? And then he goes to this next point, and it's just captured in one verse. Look at verse 18. He says this, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Here's the second point I want us to consider. Sexual immorality is self-destructive. Sexual immorality is self-destructive. Here's what I believe he's saying in verse 18. Not, you guys, not that the sin of sexual immorality is the worst sin on the planet. I don't think that's what he's saying. I do think what he's saying is that particular sin hurts the one who is committing the sin more than other sins do. You think you're doing something to bring pleasure to yourself. You think you're doing something to somebody else that doesn't have any impact on you. Here's what I'm telling you. You are killing yourself in doing that. You are doing something awful to yourself in sinning in this way. It is the most self-destructive sin that you could do. Why? Why does it carry so much weight? Why would he say such a thing? Well, because understand this, because of what we've already been thinking about, when you do something careless and awful with your with your sexuality, you're actually taking your body into something that breaks you internally. Here, here's what I mean. I just had a, a conversation with a guy that's not a, a Christ follower, but he had been, uh, you know, having sex with his girlfriend and then thought this was the one, da, da, and then all of a sudden found out that she was actually going out and having sex with other people. And all of a sudden didn't care much about him. And internally, all of a sudden, what he thought was like an evidence of their togetherness was actually shattered. So he thought he was in it for him. He thought it was all permissible for him. It actually broke him and broke him way more than physically. I'm telling you, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, he's just shattered. Like the weight of it was almost more than he could imagine, right? It hurt him deeply, and he was the one that made the choice to do it, but it came back on him, right? But more than that, you start violating your conscience because 
you know, the first couple steps you take into sexual immorality, you feel bad about it and you feel guilty. So then you crush that part of your conscience and you go deeper and deep. You keep vandalizing your own conscience in order to take those next steps, next steps. And that's why it is so erosive and so personally self-destructive. Not to mention the fact that while you're doing that for yourself, you're doing that to somebody else. And then you realize all the stuff you've done to yourself is now also being done to them. And now you carry the guilt of what it did to them as well. So he's just saying, guys, what's the very first word in that verse? Flee, run. <laughs> you know, like Joseph in the Old Testament, run away from her, get away, do whatever it takes to get away from sexual immorality, right? Because, guys, I, I feel like I don't even have to raise my voice. I don't have to stomp and snort and get your attention. You know, this is true. Flee, run for your life. It is like a ticking time bomb that you have set off by your own hands. And he's saying, run. Why are you doing this? But because you know this, that's why I love the way that Paul brings us to there's the hope. The third point is this, there is hope. Yet, with all that being true, there is hope. Look at what he says now in verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Look, you're not your own. You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Guys, if you're a Christian, that means that he saved you, delivered you, brought you to himself. And you know what? He starts using this temple language. He has made you a temple, like that beautiful, glorious Old Testament you know, temple that God would inhabit with his presence. He's saying, you now, the, the Holy Spirit, God himself inhabits you, has taken up residence in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit, which means Back like in 1 Corinthians 6.11, I love this, that was from last week. Such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He's like, you are a new person. You don't have to say yes to sexual immorality anymore. You need to live in this hope that says, you know what? I used to be mastered by all sorts of things, but now because of Christ, because God lives in me, I can actually say no to that sin and say yes to the glorious truth of Jesus Christ. In fact, I can walk right now as a free man. I can walk as a free woman. Well, you could walk as a free woman. I could walk as a free man. I could say, no, I don't have to be tyrannized by this sin any longer. I can walk in Christ. I am bought at a price. That sin, you guys listen up. That sin doesn't own me. Jesus owns me. And because of that, I have the freedom to walk away and to say, I am washed and sanctified and part of Jesus Christ. So guys, Jesus doesn't ask you because of texts like this to walk around with your head down. Oh no, I've got to wear that you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne scarlet letter. I can never erase what I've done. No, no. You know, we sang, the first song that we sang as we came in today is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's what Jesus is saying to you. I am the way. There's a better way. You are on that way. Come. I want to show you the way of forgiveness, the way of life, the way of love. Turn away from that way. I want to offer you this way, and you're going to love it. I am the truth. You've been believing lies. Where have those lies gotten you? Into a pathetic place, a hole that you have dug with your own hands. Now you're at the bottom of that hole. No, I want to offer you truth that can transform you 
That truth that says, yeah, you can't change what happened in the past, but you can change who you are right now. I love Elizabeth Elliot. I had so many Elizabeth Elliot quotes where he did drop on you, and I just had to keep carving them up. But Elizabeth Elliot said, you know what? You can't reclaim virginity, but you can reclaim chastity and purity because you are a brand new person. I don't know what happened in the past, but today reclaim the truth that you can walk as a child of God and there is no longer death in the sentence of death and there is life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Those are the truths that we need to walk in. So guys, this is a lot to internalize and I want us to do that. So if, let's do this. Let's close up our Bibles. Will you stand and let's pray this out together? Let's just really give the Lord our attention because he's brought us some important words. And Jesus, these words are important, so important. And we have just believed so many lies, so many. But in this moment, Lord, I pray, would you bring life and healing, and truth. Truth that shatters every lie we have brought into the room with us this morning. And I pray especially, Lord, maybe there's somebody here this morning that is not a follower of Christ and never imagined that there could be so much hope in this very moment, in the situation that they're in right here. Oh, would you save them? Would you deliver them? Would you become their God? Would you help them to realize that they might have walked in here with guilt, but they're going to walk away in freedom and life? And Lord, all of us, we, we begin to listen again to lies that we told ourselves way before. Lord, help us to just say no to that. And yes to Christ. Change us, transform our minds, our hearts, our thinking in our very lives, to your glory and to your glory alone, Jesus. These things we pray in your name. Amen.